Our scripture lesson is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It's the traditional gospel lesson for the day of Epiphany, the visit of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Today is a bridge Sunday between the series that we've been pursuing throughout the season of Advent, and we begin now the end of the Christmas season on the Epiphany season. And we've been talking about what the baby saw faces around the manger. Joseph and Mary and the gentle creatures and the shepherds and the angels. And then last week, faces in the temple, Simeon and Anna, two older folks who had been waiting and praying all of their lives to see this particular special baby. And today, the wise ones, the wise men from the east who came, not to the manger, not to the stable where Jesus was born, but they found him in a house. So we don't know how long exactly it took them to get there but very much part of this story. And after they had visited with the Christ child, they went home by another road. So we conclude the series today, faces around the manger and elsewhere and what the baby saw, and start thinking about taking another road home. But let's talk about this story for a little bit. This is the gospel story for this Epiphany season. It's a story most of us or many of us have heard all of our lives. The adoration of the Magi. One scholar has said that this magnificent magnificent story can better be understood by artists and poets than by scholars, biblical or literary, whose microscopic analysis often miss the heart of the story and the real meaning of the story. 
Perhaps our task as followers of the Christ is to seek an understanding of this story by looking at the details in the story. And hopefully in that process, we don't lose our sense of wonder and joy at such an amazing story that's been told so many times. In this particular episode of the early days of Jesus, there's not a lot of emphasis on the Holy Family. Joseph is not mentioned. Mary is seen but not heard. And the child is doing in this episode nothing spectacular, nothing as in some other birth stories out of some other traditions, children doing some amazing things according to their stories. But right here, there's not so much of that. The child is portrayed with great restraint. There's no literary halo, so to speak, around the child's head in this story. The main characters are the nameless strangers from the east and Herod the king. Matthew refers to the visitors as magi. The word has several distinct uses. It's sometimes used, as in the book of Acts, to refer to magicians. You remember the story of Simon the magician? And it seems to be a meaning in later Christian literature, that same meaning. Or it could be the Magians, a priestly Persian caste group of folks. A scholarly consensus seems to be that these folks were astrologers who had come from somewhere in the East. The practice of astrology was popular in that day, as I believe it still is today. And since the visit of the Magi is the primary observation of this, they, they find their way there by the stars. So perhaps, or by one guiding star in particular, that they would have recognized as being different, standing out. And so possibly they were astrologers. Their origin and their occupation and the questions they ask make you think that they were probably Gentiles outside of the children of Israel. Gentile, the word means of the nations. So outside of the nation of Israel, some would say pagans or outsiders or unbelievers. I don't know, but they knew something. They were guided by this star. They weren't sure. They had to ask where the child was to be born, but they found out and they made the effort to be there. Now, the other main character in this story, beside the Spirit of God, of course, is Herod, the king, or as many like to say, the so-called king. He was part of one of the ruling families, Jewish families in that day, but he was evil. Herod was evil. Somebody said it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because he would kill even his own children if they disagreed with him or got in his way. And when... The text says that Herod was frightened in all Jerusalem with him. That's because they knew how this evil tyrant might react. And that horrible story that comes after this one, the destruction of the children. Rachel weeping for her children and she would not be consoled. Herod was a thoroughly evil character. But this story, it's one we know so well. We've, we've made up all kinds of versions of it. We all seem to have stories to tell. When I was growing up in church in Atlanta, in the Stewart Avenue Church, there was every Christmas we'd do a Christmas pageant kind of thing. And you had to have three kings who would walk down the aisle in their bathrobes and cardboard crowns. And one year in particular, I remember one of the kings was a no-show, absent without leave. 
And so I got drafted and received a battlefield commission and became a king on the spot and had to walk down the aisle of the church and sing one of the stanzas of that hymn. And it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> Especially when one of the other guys, and I hope you don't know, any of you don't know Brent Corsi, a guy was in our church, was walking down the aisle and kind of humming to himself and singing just loud enough for us to hear, we three kings of Orient are tried to smoke a rubber cigar. Have you? Um, so I, I, when I read this story, I have to back up a little bit and say, well, I've, I've got to look at this story in a serious kind of way. And then I see the cartoon the other day of the wise man coming up to a little booth a little retail kind of booth and they're buying some gold and the sign to the side says customers who bought gold also bought frankincense and myrrh so um, so here they were so let, let's talk about the gifts for a minute gold frankincense and myrrh first of all three gifts and so many 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 folks have always assumed there were three visitors three wise men from the east we don't know how many there were we know there were three gifts and I think in most of our nativity sets and in church art and in stained glass windows and other things we see three wise men and three camels we don't know for sure how many now, eventually the three were viewed as kings, and that may have come from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 60 and verse 3, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So maybe that's where we got the idea of kings, and maybe that's where the hymn writer got that thought as well. Later they were given names, and you've seen these names. These are from tradition. These are not from Scripture. There was Melchior, the king of Persia, Gaspar, the king of India, and Balthazar, who was the king of Arabia. Still later, some folks identified them as descendants of Sham, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And I'm not sure where that idea ever got started. In the same way, the three gifts had some deeply spiritual meanings. They indicated more than than what they were just the physical gifts and let me insert this before i forget about it um, i learned a few years back from one of my favorite teachers that possibly the holy family sold these gifts and that's how they had the money for the flight to egypt when the holy family had to escape from the wicked king herod that's just a thought I, there's no proof of that but it it makes sense to me. But articles of gold have been from earliest time considered gifts that are fit for a king. Fragrant substances offered from distant lands at great expense were favored by royalty. Myrrh was also employed in the high priest's anointing oil. In this particular case, it would be, I think, helpful to mention that the word Christ, the word Messiah, means the anointed one. And so myrrh was an anointing oil. And did Matthew see the gift of frankincense as anticipating the time when Jesus, the Son, would be worshipped and glorified along with the Creator? Another possible symbolic function that has to do with myrrh, John 19:39, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds worth, and this was to anoint the body of Jesus for burial, to prepare it for burial. So myrrh has that connection to burial and to... Uh, to the grave. It's this use that prompted the ver the interpretation of myrrh in this story, a connection perhaps between this child who was born as an infant and worshipped by the wise men and who would one day 
die for us all. So the connection there, and myrrh gets involved with that gold, frankincense, myrrh, gifts fit for a king, for royalty, for a queen, for rulers. And then there's a major role in the story played by the star and all kinds of thoughts about that. Was this one unusual star? Some folks have said across the years, maybe it was an appearance by Halley's Comet. Others have said that maybe it was a convergence of several stars that gave the appearance of one bright star. But Matthew's gospel was not so interested in these natural kind of explanations as in a supernatural explanation. This was a star. This was a sign to lead these folks to where the child was. And maybe it's to remind us of a prophecy of of Balaam in Numbers chapter 24. A star shall come forth out of Jacob and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. The Christmas star identifies Mary's baby as the long-awaited Messiah. King Herod's role in all of this can be more fully appreciated when we think about the comparison between the way Matthew tells the Christmas story and Luke does. In Luke's story, there are really no negatives there. I know we have an idea of an innkeeper and and an inn, and all the rooms are full, and the word inn meaning a guest room, and all the guest rooms, all the guest chambers in that area were full. They had all come back for the census and for the taxation. And so the Holy Family being turned away was not so much an act of hostility as it was, we're full, there's just no more room. So in Luke's story, there's the joy of the angels. And the shepherds and the others. Matthew sort of tells what I call the dark side of the Christmas story. The underbelly of the Christmas story. King Herod's role in all of this. And it's not always, it's not always a joyous story. So the contrast in our passage is obvious, isn't it? If there was acceptance of this king by Gentile strangers, wise men, astrologers, with the violent rejection of him by the so-called ruler of the Jewish people at the time, King Herod, then what is that telling us? For Matthew, it symbolized perhaps the future rejection of Jesus by not all of his people, not all of the Jewish people, but by many of them. And for us, the contrast maybe can serve to point out that internal struggle between the Herod within us and our willingness to offer ourselves, to give ourselves over to the Lordship of Christ so that those selfish, destructive desires that we sometimes wrestle with can be put under the rule of Christ. As one commentator I read said, scoff not at Herod until you acknowledge the Herod within. And maybe in all of us sometimes. So let's think our focus our thinking now for a minute on how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this Herod within? How do we allow the reign of Jesus to become the primary factor in our lives? And in thinking about that, I remembered a story I'd heard a while back about a father who was called one evening, it was during the Christmas season, called into the living room by his four young children. And he was to be the audience for their living room Christmas play. Typically, the father entered the living room and the baby Jesus was there in a chair. And the baby Jesus was a flashlight wrapped in a towel. And uh, then the four children, there was uh, Joseph, who uh, had on a bathrobe, of course, and a mop handle. And there was Mary looking solemn with a sheet-draped head, and the angel of the Lord had pillowcase wings. And the fourth child was 
one of the wise kings and the pillowcase full of gifts. And she was the youngest and she felt she had to explain to her father and everyone else what was going on and explain her mission. She said, I am all three of the wise men. I bring precious gifts, gold and circumstance and mud. Hold that thought for a minute. Gold and circumstance and mud. How do we give ourselves over to the rule of Jesus in our life? And how do we deal with the Herod within ourselves? Perhaps by offering to Jesus our gifts of gold and circumstance and mud. Our gold. Think about gold in terms of possessions and money and resources. Somebody has called it the most common source of our enslavement. We spend so much time and energy making money and spending money and saving money and managing money and worrying about money. Dr. Charles Allen, and I was talking to someone here earlier who's from Grace Church in Atlanta. Charles Allen was there years ago. And went from there to First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. And while he was out in that great large church, and it was during the time, a lot of folks were making a lot of money in the oil business, and many of them were in that church. And they were singing the hymn that we sang just a little while ago, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And the second stanza of that hymn says something about, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And he said they were singing that hymn, and he was looking out at all of those folks, And he knew what they made and he knew what they were given and he said he laughed. (laughs) Uh, Our gold represents our treasure store, our hearts in a sense, our security. And when we place so much of that, our trust in that, it's problematic. But when we can begin to lay those gifts at the feet of the Christ child, then Jesus can begin to reign on the throne of our hearts. In him we live and move and have our being. Our gold and our circumstance and the circumstances of our lives, even if things are going well now, and they are for so many of us, but there are times when the circumstances are difficult and painful. And some of you have those memories of those difficult days or maybe days when when you've taken a wrong path and, and before you knew it, you found yourself in a bind and feeling limited or maybe depressed or challenged. But it's a safe bet that none of us can consider all the circumstances of our entire life to be what we would have them to be. But we bring those circumstances to God. And in the beginning of a new year, whatever those circumstances are, we offer them and know that God cares and will help us and can transform even our most difficult circumstances. And we can use the circumstances of our life to bless and lift up others. And then our mud. And we all got some of that, don't we? And we add to it sometimes. We, we bring in the dirt and the grit and the clear water of our lives. And then it muddies up and becomes a silty, solidifying mess if we're not careful. By taking our mud to Christ, we don't dirty or soil our relationship with him, but we allow his cleansing water, his living water to wash our hearts clean and to change That mud into living water, fresh water, living water, pure water. Wash me, the hymn writer said, and I'll be brighter than snow. 
So many folks have muddied their lives in all sorts of ways and they've made their lives miserable and sometimes they've made the lives of those around them miserable and they wouldn't think of coming to Christ in his church. We need to remind them to remind ourselves, don't we, that life was created out of dirt and that new life can be created out of the dirt and out of the mud of our lives. And Jesus can give us new hope. A sign in front of a church said, you aren't too good to stay out. You aren't too bad to come in. Something to think about. So here we are. We've got at least one foot so far inside the door of a new year. And once again, the question before us is, how do we give our whole selves over to the rule of Jesus? Perhaps by offering him our gold, our treasure, our circumstances, and our mud. And let me sort of wrap this and just say a word about where we're going over the next few Sundays. What did the wise men see in the face of the baby Jesus, this ever so ordinary looking baby? Did they see the hope of all the world, hope of the nations, hope of those inside and outside of the children of Israel, the light of the world? And what did the baby see in these travelers from distant lands? Maybe he saw the folk who had traveled a long way And not just geographically, but traveled a long way for the privilege of falling down and worshiping at the feet of this child. Maybe he saw folks who, after they had encountered him and he had been revealed to them, folks who would go home by another road. It's a new year. Time for a new series. Time for us to examine the roads we're traveling on. Maybe we're on those roads because we don't know any other road and we've always traveled those roads. Maybe it's time for a few Sundays to think about taking another road home. Amen.